This show is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky things that are best enjoyed after you see the movie. So any movie we talk about, we recommend you go see. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And today we're taking a look at the 1991 comedy horror Popcorn, directed by Mark Harrier and Alan Ormsby. Yeah, man. So I, you suggested this and I... Did not really know what to expect, and this is more or less what I thought I could expect. And this is right. this movie is a, to sum up briefly, I'd say a beautiful mess, a wonderful fun. Oh mess yeah, it, it <laughs> is definitely it's a mess of a film when you really watching it again. Um, I do realize how much of a mess of a film this is, but I'm actually surprised it got made because I started digging a little deeper into this, and. So Alan Ormsby had directed the films within the movie, like the, uh, the you know the movies that they are doing all the parody stuff for, right? Exactly. And I thought you know it's a really cool style he was going with, but apparently he was let go off the project or something within a few weeks of it, and Mark Harrier took over. And if people know who Mark Harrier is, he starred as Billy in the Porky's trilogy back in the early. Oh my 80s. god. So you, you, you are right. You are absolutely it's, and right. And it's such a weird thing when you think about it. So and then Ormsby uh, had done the screenplay for this as well. So it it's a very interesting type of film because a lot of subplots were cut from this. Apparently, the title "Popcorn" had more to deal with than just a title. Something was going to go and happen with it. it, it I don't know. Yeah, it's very stuff. much just a title. Like I, there, there's really yeah. no reason as to why. Well, they um, had so they had filmed with another actress, Alice O'Neill, for three weeks, um, and when I guess they got rid of her, and then they got rid of Alan Ormsby around the same time, and they brought in Jill Sholin, so they had to refilm for our main heroine. All of her scenes that she was in were all refilmed. So it, it's a very weird movie when you look at it that way. But then also you have random characters who just appear in this movie, and this is where that starts to make sense. You have, like, Ray Walston, who's there to help them get this theater together and never seen again. I don't know if he had more scenes that were cut I, out from the film, but... It's a, it's a very interesting type of movie because every time that I was trying to make sense of something or... Figure because the plot's kind of all over the place. Oh, it's totally the, all it, over the place, man. What, yeah. it, at, at around the twenty-minute mark, at least, because uh, in the beginning, I was actually quite compelled because there's great like uh, shots of these awesome dream sequences, and it seems like a fairly like fun slapdash kind of plot of like all of these kids trying to put together this community organized uh, movie event for their school, which is very odd to have both of them do. I, I was I was very intrigued by uh, seeing uh, like a lot of these characters 
kind of it's it's like this weird twisted John Hughes beginning where all of the this like breakfast club of a school club is just getting together because they all love movies and they want to be able to direct and do all of these fun stuff and uh, it's it comes to a part where like we need to like have this fundraiser kind of a thing which I don't think is how school clubs should work but it's it's odd enough so they make it into this weird like camp thing where like okay we're gonna have smell a vision for this movie and right to go back to the the 1950s styles that did like the smell a vision and did like the uh the buzzers and stuff or like the tingler and things like that and it's going back to like a novelty movie day and i think that's what's great about this about this film is because it harkens back to that now granted you get a better version of that with matinee in 1993 with john goodman but for this in its horror aspect I think what it does is really cool. Now, the whole possessor thing is uh, where a- <laughs> it's it's very hit or miss because part of it I think is very interesting. Part of it I, I think is very off because after watching this again, I decided, you know what, I'm going to watch the trailer for this film to see what audiences thought going into this because this movie did not do well in theaters. I think it only made about $4 million dollars. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, I completely understand why. The reveal um, of this character is given right away, but they try to tell you that it's this, uh, the guy from before who was. Right. It's uh, a, the, like the, the cult leader guy. I forget it's his name. Explained it's, they they from, talk about him or Lanyard Gates or whatever. So they think it's Lanyard right. Gates. And he's like this, the crazy cult filmmaker or whatever. And. They show the the faceless character who we later find out in this film to be Toby, um, who was also when oh so Possessor wasn't just a film it was an experience uh, yeah you know, that exactly type of thing. It, so I I think one of my main gripes about this is that it, it's this is a movie that seems to kind of forget the things that it sets up a lot of the time and it gets distracted by other things that may or may not be nonsense and well now it kind of makes important. sense to me though when you're when we're talking about bringing in you know a different director three weeks into a project that probably didn't have that long of a, a filming I, i'm sure it didn't you know it was only maybe a five week or six week shoot maybe at the most um so when you're bringing in a new actress and a new director halfway in that's um things are going to change a lot. And then you're talking about the studio then saying, okay, well, let's kind of cobble this together. And then you're, you know, leaving it up to editors. I'm surprised it's as good as it is. There are really cool moments in this film. They're right. really and I think awesome there are, individual there are good moments. Hi- yeah, there but- are good highlights. And I think because the movie feels more or less like it is edited around its main character for some reason. Yeah, well, and that's and now, and now that makes more... Point, now it all makes sense. Yeah, it yeah, really it makes, is edited it makes around sense her, now. so... Uh, and which is odd because we see a lot of external plot moments happen without her present and a lot of things come together without her there until it's very much just bookended with her. And then maybe some point in the middle, we have to put her in. Like it's, it's only as if like we had the absolute essential plot elements of the movie having to deal with the main character that those are the scenes that she is absolutely in. And then if she just so happens to not be anywhere else, then oh well because a lot of the weight is put on the side characters as the as this night is unfolding 
really. And you could kind of get away with it in the happenstance of all of I these mean, it's, things. I mean, it's your it's your traditional slasher trope. Yeah, like this movie, like, this oh, movie so- abides by, which which by this point it's you know it's ninety one. Slasher's been around. Well, the, the modern, more slasher, you know, 78, Yeah, it's 80, an established has, formula of, like, isolate this person. They have a, and it's, they have it's a freaky been, yeah, death. And- it's been done time and time and time and time again. But I think what's fun about this, at least, is starting to realize, like, once you understand who this character, this villain is, and it's fully revealed within an hour into the movie. By the way, like... Those those effects with Toby when his face is halfway off and he's kind of like oh, bouncing it around. Oh, so good. In the ears. It's it's amazing. And I actually really like his backstory. I think, like, it's a very tragic... He's a very sympathetic villain. Yeah, it, it reminded me a tiny bit, and only because of the changing faces, but, like, the kind of tragic tragedy of, like, one of those Batman animated series characters like Clayface or Mr. Freeze, where it's like, oh, you actually feel kind of bad for this person and understand why exactly they went crazy but the performance well, makes, is over I mean, the top and it's great that you can see all of these exactly. cartoonish type of effects happening as well so there's a good balance there well and it also makes sense because one of the titles for this is phantom of the cinema and it has a very phantom of the opera vibe to it where you do kind of feel bad for this character for you know his his tragic backstory but like the, in this in this case, man, I just I think it's so. Instead of a mask, he does still have masks, but it's of all of his victims. Um, so he can become all of them. The other thing I think is really cool, and they don't really delve into it too much, is that you see all this stuff on his face once it's off, and you know that a lot of it is the surgery scars and everything. But there's a little more to it. It looks like, and you can see inside the mask there are these sensors and these little robotic. Um, because he holds the face up and it's moving around and stuff like that because it has those like little sensors on it for the muscles and stuff. And it's just really cool to see all of that being done with this. And it's not just, oh, I put this piece of whatever on my face. Magically, I'm this person because that's not how it works. So even though it doesn't fully come together and there's a lot of, you can see a lot of the seams on it, um, it's really creative for what they were doing and what they, it was very ambitious, you know, and it reminds me of like an early eighties. Um, there's another movie that deals with, with a person who watches a lot of cinema and starts going crazy and things like that uh, called fade to black. And that's more of a very, um, thriller, not isolation. Well, kind of isolationist. I mean, it's, it's following like one person as he descends into madness kind of with film, but in this case, it's kind of, let's take that, but push it to an extreme level. Like, what if this person, instead of just being um, <clears throat> kind of ostracized and living in their own world of cinema, what if this person was deformed and the only way that they could actually deal with life or reality was getting into cinema and the mask making and things like that uh, to feel normal again? And then deciding to enact this elaborate revenge and one of my favorite moments in this movie, and this actually is what takes it from being a traditional slasher, which you could say it is, to something that elevates it to that next level, is when he goes to kill, I forget her name, but she was dressed up as a nurse, and she's talking about how, um, you know, she's always been in love with, uh, 
she's always been in love with Toby, like, this entire time, and you just see him back there just kind of have this moment of, like, what? And then goes back in uh, to where Maggie's at and just has this massive freakout, and it's awesome to see that he's ha- he's going through this crisis, and he's like, I can't be dealing with this right now. This is too much. Yeah, um, it's and it's like I've got my own problems. Leave me alone. And it, it's such a, it's, it's such a, a good character the way that it's done. It's very like well put together um in that regard. Now, I think if you had had one director the entire time and it had seen the vision through, you would have a movie that would have probably done really well at the box office and still be I mean, this one has a cult following now and has looked back. So it's still well-regarded in, in the horror community now, but it didn't do well when it came out. Like, this was not a right. film that... You I, know, can, is... I can wholeheartedly believe that because, it's again, it's a kind of a conundrum to actually figure out what's really going on and, if like, what's worth paying attention to. I, I kept finding the movie trying to like fight itself for my attention at every turn because I was like, why, why, what are we doing here now? Like, why, why is this just happening all of a sudden? And it's, it kept coming back. Like, cause I, there was a great moment where uh, we were just like watching, like the audience in the film was watching that uh, deadly mosquito movie. And it's hilariously shot and very campy and over the top. And it's very fun. Uh, and you have that like effect of like the giant mosquito sucking out the like the life out of that one farmer from the car. And, that like, was his, so like, awesome, face gets man! All... It's it so absurdly so over the top. But in between all of that, it just randomly cuts to just people in the audience laughing like all the time when we're kind of supposed to be focusing on what's happening in the plot of the fake movie because it will often reflect what should be happening in the real movie. Like there's this weird editing b- imbalance. Uh, that happens in the middle of this where it doesn't know what to focus on. And so it just has what it has. And again, it's becoming more and more apparent that this is kind of being brought together in a skeletal form in the editing room. Uh, And it shows the most here, where in the midst of all of this plot, we have these random happenstances where we have the audience watching the movie Uh, All the kids with their shenanigans outside and then the killer being uh, having to work his own plot out uh, in the sidelines. And all of that can't really be juggled at one time. There there are definitely some strange, some very strange plot holes in it when Toby is running. He's like he gets trapped outside and says he has to run from a dog. And you're like, well, maybe he's just full of shit but he's not because then you know maggie's boyfriend um i think mark right is like running around the entire time and then runs around and then you know has a dog chase him and whatever and i guess gets bit or something like that um by the way the funniest character in this movie he is amazing as comic relief the entire time yes (laughs) Because uh, he, he tries to be this, like, total badass, you know, coming in to save the day. And every time he does something, he ends up tripping and falling or he ends up causing some sort of chaos. It's a, this total comedy of errors with him the entire time. But it's not thrown in your face too much. It's just very, it's just very amusing. Like, he really owns that character the whole way through. Yeah, it really, really is something that, uh, again, the the movie had a lot of great things going for it, and it's a very odd circumstance 
that it loses its director very, very early on in the project and then has to just be swooped up and finished because a lot of that is kind of hindering what's more or less a very interesting, interesting movie. Yeah, I, because I love has, the movie within a movie sections because they look really good. Like they're very, they do. very, they're very well, well put made. Together. Yeah, and they're very well made, and they they have this very 1950s but super cheesy feel to them, but still high quality. Um, and I th- and it's very stylized, and that's what I liked about that. But there's moments in this film that feel, yeah, some of the pickup shots just felt kind of, I don't know. I don't know, man. Some of it just it, some of it doesn't feel right. I don't know if it was done beforehand or later. I mean, it seems like they had the same director of photography the entire time. But when it comes down to what the director is going for, shot wise or stylistically, and then you know what the studio is pushing on top of that, because this was movie partners and this was their first film, right? So they want to get it right. So they're going to make a lot of mistakes. So who knows how many they made and if they fully. How many? Who knows how many cuts of this movie ex- existed at one point? That's a, that's really the the mystery here because uh, I'd very much like to see how the fully finished product would have turned out had that not been fired. But I I would actually like to know under the circumstances under why the original director left the project or got fired or uh, yeah I mean reasonably I, left. There has to be some sort of uh, explanation. I didn't dig too deep into that. Um, because really, what it comes down to is this is still a fun movie. Uh, yeah, you know, and even, like even that's the thing. All, even with those, it could have gone a lot worse. Oh man, this could have been, th- this could have been a total train wreck. And you have a lot of, I mean, you have actors who did a lot of horror, like Kelly Jo Minter. Uh, I'm pretty sure, I remember her from let's see, Nightmare on Elm Street Five. I think she was also in People Under the Stairs. She was also in The Lost Boys. So yeah, she's so she's been around by this. Yeah, point. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I mean. And, well, and you had Sorry, Jill Sholin. She had done a few films, uh, a couple of horror movies as well around that time. Um, D. Wallace, totally underutilized in this film. You see her right in the beginning. Very I'm much waiting, underutilized. I'm waiting for this big moment with her, and then she just gets, like, kidnapped, essentially, tied up, put in this weird plaster of Paris. And, and then, then we don't see her for the uh, nearly the rest of the movie. Until yeah, and then the I guess she's end. okay. Like, at the end of it, she's still in that, I think, by the end of it or something. It's mm-hmm. it's very strange. I also think the final line of this movie was just kind of... I mean, the end is a little lackluster. I mean, I really like the final death. I think it's great. We went back to the mosquito again, which it gets utilized yeah. twice. Usually, I would, say don't, I would say don't go to a gag twice, but... They were probably like, man, we spent a lot of money on this robotic mosquito. It's a really and... good robotic mosquito, in oh, all fairness. It's so like, good, it's worth man. using twice. Absolutely worth using twice. The first time was cool, you know. Uh, you have, uh, I think, Mr. Davis gets hit with it in the chest, and it's it's pretty visceral as it goes in there. But then my favorite was when uh, it was when Mark basically is trying to save the day, crashes, causes it to short circuit inadvertently saving the day by having it drive down into Toby and Toby's just (laughs) hanging in the air and you get this POV shot almost from the mosquito an absolute hilarious turn of events flailing everywhere in these insane death throws it is it is a ridiculous over-the-top moment and death scene and people are loving it. The audience thinks it's the greatest thing ever because they think it's part of the 
They think it's part of the movie. And that's the and that's kind of the interesting part of those in between moments because the movie seems to have a lot of fun with the in theater elements where like there's just a band playing at some point and everybody's just having a good time and oh, it becomes yes. a small little concert movie and I'm like this probably knowing that like they had lost a director early on they're just like let's just get as many crowd shots as we can and that's going to be our b-roll for the rest of this entire movie because every time this movie doesn't seem to have anything important to say or do it will just cut to people having fun in a theater okay so here's a funny thing about that now that you mention it so this movie was shot entirely in Kingston, Jamaica. So that's insane. Yeah. So that is the that is the reason why the only bands that you see come in are like reggae bands. That blows my mind. Yeah, and, and, it's, and like so, that, maybe they got like a tax credit or something by introducing some local flair or something. But like, I mean, they had to, to film in Kingston, think, Jamaica. The, thing, the fact that it was shot on location in Kingston, Jamaica, uh, not on location, but I mean, it was shot in Kingston, Jamaica. Um, it doesn't take place there, but uh, it was. it's just crazy that you just wouldn't think that with this film. It seems like it was shot, because I kept thinking this was done in L.A. because of everything that you see, all the exteriors that they did there, but the theater itself was there. They um, barely even had an exterior shot. Almost everything was indoors. Like, why would they even need, like, this, all of this could be, almost be done on a soundstage. And then, had yeah, the right Toronto, enough, oh, I think, they, yeah, they did, oh, no, it was, it was, well, no, they didn't even do L.A. It was Toronto for pickup shots. So all the, uh, so the exteriors that they used as being, I guess, this California campus um, in the beginning, because, you know, it's their film school or whatever, says it was in California or something. And I'm like, I don't think it was, but it was Toronto. And then everything else was done in Kingston, Jamaica, and the Ward Theater in Kingston. Interesting. And, by the way, this movie was shot at the tail end of 89. Uh, so let's see, and it, it, so October, it didn't even come out until another two years later. So it was a full two months of shooting for this movie. I so believe you had that. eight weeks, and you had... So we had five weeks with a new director after three weeks originally. Pretty rushed so at the moment, but like yeah, I mean, it, it seemed it, to it sit on the a, shelf at or in the editing bay for a while. Yeah, they said though with a lot of it, you know, they were able to kind of work around the footage they had already done with the other actress. So, um, either way, I you know I think it's a fun movie despite its flaws. I think some of the character deaths in it are just awesome. I love this mask idea, this just kind of face swap thing. Um, that they go through. They don't delve into it too much of how he does it. I kind of wish they did a little more um, because then later, you know, it, it's it would just be kind of nice to see what goes into the process of all of it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I would agree. It's it's more of a again, this is this is definitely a movie for one or two main purposes uh, and then a lot of fun little things in between. Like, it, I, I don't think, like, it, this ne movie never felt whole. This never felt like this. it had the entire package for me. But it certainly had some very interesting things that was done at a time when the slasher genre and the... It, it seemed that the horror scene wasn't exactly that exciting uh, around this time. And this tried to do something while campy and fun and uh, something that, that was a bit more of a throwback than anything else. And for the sort of behind-the-scenes problems that it had, it more or less pulls a lot off, more than it probably had credit to do. Yeah. I mean, it really does. And then, you're, you know, you look at what this could have been 
kind of the framework for later on. I mean, this is 1991, but you start getting these kind of whodunit slashers coming around, you know, just a few years later with like Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, stuff like that. This one, you know, it's not really self-aware in that aspect, but it's definitely still doing the comedy horror using films as prototypes for stuff. Not necessarily I Know What You Did Last Summer, but Scream using, you know, horror movies kind of as prototype for stuff. Um yeah, and, and it's this, not and it's not yeah. meta like like Scream is, no, or, no, and no, it's, no. Not it's not as but it's aspect, very self aware of still, its influences. When you're, when you're looking at slashers, though, it's still that type of take on a slasher. It was giving it something new, which you know it. That's the thing. You're you're not just dealing with your basic. Hey, there's this killer. He's come back. He was wrong. Something happened. Now he's slaughtering everyone because they have invoked his wrath you know, somehow. Um, what I think is really just fun about this is that it also pokes fun at the stereotypical, um, you know, the hero character who's going to come and save the day, but he's a bumbling idiot, but then somehow still ends up helping. I mean, he ends up helping a lot. Um, he does. He very much does. And it's also really weird that everything is, is very, very convenient. Uh, very conveniently like wound together to this one night like she just happens to be there this one night at this film school working on this somehow she knows toby they have made each other's he has somehow gotten their paths to cross over all of this time when you look at it like that it's so absurd and ridiculous but so are most slashers Exactly. And I think that's, I kind of looked at this with a bit of a weird kind of past, like a Tales from the Crypt or a, uh, a something that like is akin to wanting to be a throwback to the 50s or 60s of those just serialized. Because like this was clearly made by people that are fans of those types of things. And uh, as much as I, uh, as much as this movie doesn't really hit the mark for a lot of the things that it would want to bring forward in a modern way, it still achieves a lot of the cheese and the camp and the fun that a lot of those old movies had. And I, for that, I give it a lot of credit. It's something that I'm, I, I, I keep scratching my head at as to why I liked it as much as I did, even though I think on a lot of other levels, it's not that great of a movie. But it does so many things so well that I still recommend it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this movie is that when I look at it, every time I watch it again, there's a lot of stuff that I like. But then there's this other stuff that I'm like, uh, I don't... Like, that's not... It's not the best. It's really not the best. Yeah. And, and I think, like, it's the films within the film, I think, that are its strongest point. Yes, that's uh, that's really sure. where it's the gimmicky stuff in it that actually is the most interesting, and then the rest of it is kind of prototypical slasher. Um, yeah, and I I would like to think that uh, a lot of fun and side plots that had happened that had to happen during the course of shooting that movie and making that movie were a bit more thought out at the time, but just not fully realized because you had things there like. The actors had the chops, the script showed promise at points, and a lot of the uh, effects certainly uh, pr like proved very, very effective. But I want to know what the, just... I really want to know what the popcorn subplot was. Like, right? why? Like, I wanted to know that too. 
like, what was it? Like, what was going on with that? Because if there was something in the subplot that was almost like, uh, because it was this cult-like thing, if it was a drinking the Kool-Aid, but, like, eating the popcorn to go along with what's going on with the cult and why they were cheering everything on, okay, that would have been really kind of cool to go with. It has a lot more room to explore all of the things that it sets up and never yeah. really capitalizes on a lot of it. Well, we realize how delusional Toby is. I mean, he thinks if he actually goes through with the ritual, his mom might come back. Exactly. Um, and like that's the like that's the main thing about it. Yeah. And it's it's uh there's a lot of really fun stuff in it. I kind of wish they dug a little deeper with what they were doing i would actually like to see oh man i don't say this too too often i would like to see this one remade i i Um, think this could be this could this is great fodder for a remake because you can go so many different ways with it and still kind of have the charm and smunk of the original because we have a lot of things that are ripe for like either satirizing or being parodies of especially nowadays like this could be this is very this sounds like in the vein of like a uh, like in a happy death day kind of a thing. Like Bloomhouse could have a field day with a with a Man, set concept. It, you like know, this. it's gonna take it's gonna take a deft hand with that though, because I could see, I could see this going the complete other way, where all of a sudden we see there's this straight to video uh, horror film of you know popcorn, and it's just a complete train wreck of a remake. Um, I'm hoping for the former, not the latter. You know. I, I think it, so. It would definitely take somebody who really... It would take a decent budget. And then someone who really, really cares about the original film, loves the original one, sees what the vision was meant to be, and can see it all the way through. And as producers who understand that exact same vision. Yes, the boundless potential that came with it, uh, I think, is very much something that's worth exploring. Uh, but for now... We will just have to settle for popcorn from 1991, and it will be a solid recommend for me. Uh, if you are looking for something that's uh, off the beaten path for sure, but still can manage to have a lot of fun with itself. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a total solid recommend for me as well. Um, I really, really enjoy it. it. Yeah, it does have its flaws, obviously, but at the same time, and most films do. And when it comes to horror, and especially late 80s, early 90s horror, yeah, has some flaws. But uh, it's still a fun movie. So check it out if you haven't. And honestly, if you haven't, we've just spoiled the movie for you. So you I mean, what what's trailer, really to spoil, the trailer honestly? <laughs> does, the trailer does that too, though. I, the trailer yeah. really spoils it. So, you know, I wouldn't even watch it. If you have seen it, watch the trailer now. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, oh, absolutely. Because it just, oof. Oof, it just makes it a little rough. So Rough. Well, that is going to do it for us this week. What have we got in the pipeline next week, Rob? Um, Let's see. What did I, What were we going to do again? We just talked about it. I, just, I believe uh, we were talking about uh, From Dusk Till Dawn. Yep, that is the one we're going to do. So we are taking a look at Robert <laughs> Rodriguez's From Dusk Till Dawn from 1996. Um, yeah, man. It's a, All right, it's who's a ready really to lick fun some movie. feet? Who's ready to lick hmm? some feet? Gross. Because yikes. Gross. gross. Gross, gross. Anyway, <laughs> no, I, this is a fun movie, and uh, 
I've actually never really like taken a step back and really picked it apart. I've only recalled it from like, okay, George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino go on an adventure. And are there vampires? I think Danny Trejo's yeah. there somewhere. It's a fun time. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a really, I don't know, I mean, there's there's a lot of fun stuff in it, especially because you get a lot of good practical effects. Um, so this was 1996, and this was pretty much just before a lot of stuff started going heavy CG. So I really appreciate this movie for that. Um, but yeah, check it out, and we'll be coming out with that next week. Uh, but until then, you can find us at ohthehorrorcast.com. And on all social medias, usually at Oh the Horrorcast, some of them at Holmes Invasion, and some of them I think just at like Oh the Horror. Exactly, and you're pretty much going to be able to find us wherever we can be found, downloaded as a podcast. So thank yeah, you like guys any so of much. those places. Um, make sure to like, share, and subscribe. I guess Do we we have some sort of subscribe there somewhere. Uh, and then yeah, anytime we have a new episode, you will be notified. Absolutely. Thanks again so much for listening. We really appreciate the feedback and support you guys have been giving us. But until next time, I'm Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. Thanks, guys. And we'll see you next time. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk away.